Welcome to the Trinity Western University Chapel podcast. It is our prayer that these chapel talks would bless your heart and they would draw you closer to our Lord. We offer them to the glory of God and for the good of the world. Before we even start, I would kindly ask you to bring to your heart a a small thing that you're grateful for, the smallest maybe that you find, and allow yourself to think about it. And if you have hard time to find something, just put your hand on your heart and listen how it beats for a little moment. What a miracle. What a gift. You know, just a little thing before I start, when we are grateful, the moment that we are grateful, we cannot be anxious. Those things are opposite in the brain. When one opens, the other one closes. The moment that we are grateful, we cannot be anxious. So little moments of gratitude often. Right. So I am Estera, and um, I teach in the marriage and family therapy program um, at ACT Seminaries. But by the way, the program is moving at Trinity as of September 2023. Yeah, this coming September, we have a graduate program um, in marriage and family therapy. So for those of you who are interested, that would be a good option of study. I was looking for the moving of the slides. Right. Um, I grew up, I was born and I grew up in Romania during communism. And I had a degree in social work. And I worked with, um, with abandoned children. I had few orphanages. And my job was to take five-days-old babies from the maternity hospital and to bring them to the orphanage. And um, sometimes we would uh, find children abandoned for a long time in the state orphanages and um, in the hospital and on the streets and even at the garbage dump. And I learned a lot about relationships over there. We talk in our books, and maybe those of you who study psychology um, you learn about even the, the abandoned children in Romania and how actually you die if you don't have love. Um, if you don't have somebody to hold you and to care for you when you're really young, you actually really literally die. And I've seen that with my own eyes. And that got me to learn more about relationships and to to pay attention, what is this interdependence? And actually, I would say more dependence than interdependence. So as you know, we are continuing to work um, through Trinity's vision. And we are working on live faithfully. How do we tend to our relationships? And relationships are vital but also very complicated, I would say. And I'm training marriage and family therapists, and it takes us a couple of years to barely scratch the surface of what it means to work with relationships. And I'm trying to pack all that in 15 minutes for you. (laughs) 
The scripture that comes to mind when, when I was thinking about relationship, it actually has to do with one of Jesus' last instructions for his disciples on this earth. He said, love one another as I loved you. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Well, here's where things get a little bit complicated. I wish that disciples would have asked Jesus, thank you, Jesus, how do we do that? And then we would have heard a lot more from Jesus. We saw a lot more in action what Jesus did, how he showed love in the smallest of ways. Right. Our own development is dependent on our bonds with significant others, right? And we cannot survive without those. One little example is one of those little kids from the, the, the orphanage. It was a little boy. He was three years old, and he was abandoned at Children's Hospital. There was a whole floor with abandoned babies and two or three nurses who barely, you know, changed them and feed them throughout their shift. So nobody had time to hold and take care of the children. And this young boy um, would not keep food, and he was really skinny, and they even tied him to the bed because he was starting to crawl, and nobody had time for him. So here it is, um, hungry, alone, tied to the bed, little boy, who pretty much gave up on life. And I asked one of the nurses, what is wrong with this kid? How come he struggles? Like, I think he gave up on life. That was literally the answer. In the psychology textbooks, we have something that is called failure to thrive, right? And then there was a volunteer who came from the United States, and she, she asked me, what can I do? How can I help? And I'm like, well, here's the best way. This little boy just needs a little bit of attention, a little bit of love. For three months, she went every day to the hospital and fed him and hold him. That's it. That's it. And in three months, you would not recognize this little boy. They, were, they led him to die, and here it was. All he needed was somebody to say, you do matter. I'm here, right? Look at me. I can hold you. I will feed you. Right? And we take that for granted because that's true for, for all of us. We don't have to think about those things but we all need others. We all need physical and emotional proximity. Before we learn to walk and talk, right? um, before we are able to hold on to memories, um, we learn who is safe, who loves us, and maybe who we should avoid. Before we can say mom or dad or I love you, we know where our safe haven is. Right. Predictable connections with significant others calms our nervous system. Um, we know, we now have a lot of research um, that shows uh, that love is the safety cue that literally calms and comforts the nervous brain. Sue Johnson, who started the Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy um, training and, and research, 
She done an interesting fMRI study on couples where she asked one of the partners to step in the fMRI machine and they observed the activation of the brain as they received an electric shock. Um, when they received the notification that the pain is coming, the um, alarm system in the brain got activated and uh, they rated the electric shock as painful. When a stranger hold their hand, the pain went down a little bit, but um, the amazing thing is that if a loving, secure partner held their, their hand, the pain went really down. Um, they mentioned that the shock was uncomfortable, but not painful. And in my doctoral studies, I focused on empathy and compassion, and I learned a lot more about some of these fMRI studies, and they're so really interesting. Um, putting a person, for example, in the fMRI machine and just saying that in the other machine, somebody is there, and they're part of the same community. And when the other person received the shock, the person who just heard a noise that, that comes from that shock, they felt the pain in their own. So the, the parts of the brain that are responsible for pain got activated in their own bodies, even though they did not receive any shock. That's how connected we are with each other. It's enough to know that um, somebody somehow belongs to us. And it's as simple as if I would say, you're all a team and you're all a team. If two of you would be kind of, um, Having to empathize in some ways, it would be so much easier to connect. But here's the tricky thing. Our mind is very complicated that way. They put in the fMRI machine two people who just very simply said they, um, they were not part of the same team. I'm not good with um, football teams or anything like that. <laughs> but let's say there, there are people who liked one team and one people who liked the, the rivals. It's not only that they did not feel pain when the other one experienced the shock, they felt some kind of reward and joy. So it's very important how we feel who's in and who's out. And maybe a lot of our work, even with relationships, it needs to be how do we mind that gap of the difference, and how do we focus more on we're all lovable, fallible children of God in need of grace? Right. From the cradle to grave, human beings are hardwired to seek not just social contact, but also physical and emotional proximity to special others who are deemed irreplaceable. The key factors that define the quality and security of attachment bonds are perceived as accessibility, responsibility, and emotional engagement. So actually, in every situation, in every fight, or every time we get overwhelmed, or every conversation that we have with loved ones, deep down we are asking, are you there for me? Can I trust you? Are we in this together? Right? That is something that it's very important for all of us. So separation distress arises when the attachment bond is threatened or secure attachment is lost. Here's the good news. 
one sense of attachment security is not a fixed trait of character. It changes when different experiences occur. And actually, research shows that in relationships, if, if one partner is not quite so securely attached and, and the other one is, uh, the one who's not securely attached is learning. And it takes a little while, and then they become securely attached too. So lots of good news here. Those who are securely attached are comfortable with closeness and their need for others. This is a big deal. I would say that we really need to recognize our own need for others to be in good relationships. Their primary attachment strategy is to acknowledge their attachment needs and congruently reach out. Right. When others are perceived as inaccessible or unresponsive or even threatening, we all adopt secondary models um, and strategies. Some of us become more anxious. Uh, we protest the distance and wanting more attention and reassuring support. Usually in a couple, this is the person who says, let's talk about things right now, let's fix them. We're not going anywhere, let's talk it right now. But some of us become more distant. It feels like when, when overwhelmness comes and when difficulties come, it feels like a wall is coming down, like a door is closed, and, and we go deep down somewhere hiding in a cave. We withdraw, right? We want to minimize the frustration and, and, and stress, and we become more self-reliant. And none of this is good or bad. We just need to be aware where we go, because if we understand what's happening for us, then we can understand where our loved ones are going, what's happening for them, but also we know what we need to do. And I would say those who are more towards the anxious, they get overwhelmed towards the anxious way, they need to learn how to take a step back. And those who have a tendency to withdraw and run away, they need to learn how to take a step forward to meet each other somewhere in the middle. We all respond in unhelpful ways all the time. These responses are not dysfunctional per se, but it's very important to know where we go, how we respond to be able to be effective. Uh, I've totally forgot about this. <laughs> right. Maybe one more. Um, Right. I should mention, though, that some of us alternate between reaching out and distancing. This usually happens if one has been traumatized by an attachment figure. They are in the paradoxical situation in which loved ones are both the source and the solution to fear. Compared to child-parent attachment, and here's where I wanted to come with you, um, the bond between adults are more reciprocal and not so dependent on physical proximity. Cognitive representations of an attachment figure can be effectively evoked to create symbolic proximity. So for, for adults, it is enough to think in our hearts about loved ones, to feel safe and secure and to feel well. And that is very important. Why do I mention all this to you? To be able to tend effectively to relationships, we need to have a good sense of where we go when we get overwhelmed, 
We all have strengths and weaknesses, and we need to know them both. Knowing and understanding our limitations does not mean that we are complacent or give up working on ourselves and our relationships. Some of our limitations are not going away. We only need to learn to work around it. And that requires humility. And this brings me just to the verse in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's beloved people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we need humility um, to be able to focus on relationships. And I would like to mention very briefly just a few things about humility. Um, we need a sense of good security. I believe that, that humility, it is an understated um, virtue, big time, because we might misunderstand it. And this is a totally different subject um, from today, but I would like to connect it, it, to be aware of where we are, to accept and embrace our strengths and weaknesses, we do need humility. We need an enduring sense of personal worth, willingness to see oneself accurately, and an ability to acknowledge our own limitations. We don't need to think about ourselves less. We don't need to think less of ourselves, but we need to think of ourselves less. That's what humility is. And I'm just aware of the time I already passed on, so I would like to close with um, maybe a collective gratitude prayer. I would like to invite you to close your eyes and bring to your mind a person from your life who was or is a safe person for you. Somebody who believed or believes in you. Somebody who really sees you. Somebody who encouraged you or continues to encourage you. Somebody who shaped who you are in small ways or in big ways. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind this person. As you bring this person to your memory, notice the look on their face. Notice the love, the presence, the safety. Then notice the response in your heart. Notice the warmth, the love and gratitude. Let that wash over you. Let that flood your heart for a moment. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the safe people you put in our lives. Gives us the compassion and humility to see ourselves accurately, to be able to live faithfully for the good of the world and the glory of God. Amen.